This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our focus, contemporary spirituality, and our guest today, uh, Reverend Elizabeth Stuckey and Noel Paul Stuckey. I should say they've been married over 50 years. They're in uh, Blue Hill, Maine right now as we speak to them. And uh, they run uh, a non-profit, I assume, uh, and, and, uh, which focuses on um, multi-faith as opposed to interfaith. We want to talk about that. One light, many candles, uh, a multi-faith program. Thank you so very much for taking the time to come on with us today. You're very welcome. Should be fun. It will be. Um, and uh, this is actually the first time we have uh, two guests simultaneously, and uh, none of us can see each other, so we, we hope that the, uh, the conversation goes smoothly. Um, let's begin. You, you came to our attention because of your program, One Light, Many Candles, uh, through a mutual friend. And uh, we were intrigued, and we wondered uh, if you'd begin by giving us your backgrounds and what brought you uh, to the what's the sort of creation story of One Light, Many Candles. Well, I think I'll start first. Um, uh, I think that it began um, when we were invited to Wesley Seminary in Washington, D.C. After I had graduated from Harvard Divinity School, um, we went there for four months as the artist in um, residence and a minister in residence. And part of our contract was that I would do a presentation to the faculty there. And I had no idea. Uh, first of all, I was scared to death because these are all the folks whose books I read when I was at Divinity School, and they're all mm-hmm. very, very intellectual and very smart and very kind and wonderful, too. But anyway, after much pondering, I figured that the only thing I really cared about was that... Um, cared enough about to make a presentation was to uh, to talk about how we could all get together, um, people of various religions and differences, how we could come together and stop killing each other over what we believe in, because basically we believe in the same core, which is love of every religion. So I gave that presentation. That did not include Noel at the time. Um, and then I think, I think, the next one was was uh, we worked together, worked up a program together of readings and music that alternate. And uh, so Noel does about 10 songs. And then the next one, I think, was in uh, Brooksville, Maine. It was kind of a tryout. Um, and it went pretty well. So that's how it all began, and that's how it all got together. Is that enough information? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a great background. <laughs> Let's hear uh, Noel's side of it. Yeah, well, the uh, I had undergone a great spiritual uh, confrontation in the early 70s and changed my whole scope of writing, uh, you know, following the wedding song, uh, There is Love, and uh, a lot of uh, other songs about searching for spirituality. I recognized that most of my writing from there on out was going to be about that subject material. So when my distant cousin, Larry Stuckey, who was a professor at uh, Wesley uh, Theological, asked Betty and I down. Uh, I think it was in part because he had seen that change in my music. And, you know, the to the extent that I've uh, tried to speak to the intersection of faith and politics, 
I think the music is still very uh, current and uh, contemporary, though the style is certainly folk music. And Betty's capacity to draw from both contemporary and, and archived uh, writings of a multiplicity of faiths uh, ties in well to the metaphors that are used often in my music. Mm-hmm. And we should we should uh, uh, state that uh, Noel is uh, was the the Paul of Peter Paul and Mary, hence um, his reference to wedding song, which is uh, one probably your best known song. I would think your mm-hmm. is that true? As a, as a soloist, certainly yeah. I think yeah. that's probably been at uh, many weddings. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I good. I want to say that I, I've always found uh, your music and the music of uh, Peter Paul and Mary. Uh, very spiritually enlivening, even though at the time I was listening to it, I might not have thought of it that way, but certainly it was. And a question for you, Elizabeth. Um, you've been married, I think, you, the two of you, for 63 years. I mean, over 50 years, since 1963. I don't want to rush things. And uh, <laughs> and so through much of that that period of time, uh, when uh, Paul was with, Noel was with Peter, Paul, and Mary, and traveling... Were you both in, and I, I think you've raised three daughters, were you engaged in um, ministry? When did the, uh, that spiritual impulse take you to becoming a uh, reverend? Oh, I think it started when I was about 13. <clears throat> and um, just I had a, a dream that um, made me very sure that God was with me. And, uh, but I think mostly... It was questioning that led me to the divinity school because mm-hmm. I, um, have, I have a really broad view of who God is, and I do believe that all religions are true, as Mahatma Gandhi said. Um, so it was difficult for me uh, to focus on one, and I really went to divinity school to uh, ask a lot of questions, mm-hmm. um, some of which got answered and some of which didn't. <laughs> uh, uh, could you, could, Elizabeth, could you tell us about that dream? Oh, okay. Um, uh, I was 12, I think, or 13, somewhere in there, and I dreamt that I walked into a very large, white, all-white room um, with two steps that led down that were carpeted in white and two couches facing each other that were white and a fireplace in between that was white and this statue on the top of the fireplace, which I didn't know then, but later found out that it was Buddha. I realized, I recognized it once I knew what, I didn't then know what Buddha was. Um, And over to my right was this huge wall-to-wall curtain, uh, also white. And as I stepped down into the room, I heard this beautiful voice saying, this is all yours. Um, And the curtain opened and it showed the whole world. And I just felt like I had been given a gift. Um, And I knew that it was from God and that I was going to be okay. It was a great dream. And when, yeah. when did you finally uh, uh, find it uh, possible to go to divinity school? Is that a later-in-life decision? Yes, much later, because I had three daughters to raise, mm-hmm. and Noah was, was gone a fair amount, so it kind of fell to me to do most of that. And um, I was running a flower business and teaching at the local school, teaching French, and very, very busy, but when they, when the girls all left, I went, oh, ha-ha, I have some time now, what am I going to do? And um, several friends said, you should go to 
divinity school, and I kind of scoffed because I'd never considered myself a religious person in that way. And um, and yet it didn't leave me alone. This is another story. Do you want another story? Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so um, uh, I kept thinking about it, and a friend of ours, uh, Bob Massey, who was then at the divinity school at Harvard, said, Betty, you should apply, you should apply. So I went home and I applied, and I thought, well, I won't get in because it's been 30 years since I've been in school, and um, I have three cats and a huge house to take care of, and I just can't do it. So needless to say, I got accepted, and... Um, um, then the cats died. <laughs> well, you're right. Story. What what, what oh, year? Oh, what year? Come uh, on. Uh, uh, what year were you okay. at the divinity school? Yeah, you said that. Um, so so we went away on a trip, Mo and I, together. Uh, and uh, when we came back, uh, one of the cats had run away, and um, uh, the other two were gone. We didn't know where. And there went one of my reasons for not going to divinity school. And then our daughter came to me and said. Mom, can I leave at home next year because I want to work in town? And there went the second excuse of the uh-huh. house. So I figured that that was a pretty big message and I should listen to it. So I went, kind of kicking and screaming, but it was an absolutely wonderful experience. Really, what, what, really uh, wonderful. Elizabeth, what year were you at the Divinity School? I was there from uh, uh, 1993 to 1997. Mm. And you were ordained really in the United... You were ordained in the United Church of Christ. Did you ever run a congregation, or did you step no. into... No. I got When I graduated, I immediately got the job as chaplain at Northfield Mount Hermann School. Mm-hmm. And um, that, was, that was really an amazing place to be. And I was there for eight years, um, and then finally left. Mm-hmm. Nolan, and I have not taken a... Yeah. Nolan's yeah. in a big transition and adjustment for you to go from... Uh, and I, I, I assume you still perform, but going from really being on tour, being with Peter, Paul, and Mary, uh, to uh, uh, a life that was less uh, maybe directly involved with mu- music and more involved with uh, uh, spirituality and, and working with your, your, your wife in ministry. Well, when Betty and I moved to Maine in 1974, uh, part of the purpose that we both understood sometimes wordlessly because we don't always talk about uh, we're not, <laughs> we love the fact that we discover that we're thinking the same but we don't always air these things out hence the comment about the cats dying before mm-hmm. she wanted to tell you about <laughs> the great coincidence but in in that spirit when we came to Maine we both felt that there, we were going to be able to bring a certain peace and uh, uh, tranquility to our lives, but just not available with the fame of Peter, Paul, and Mary and living in an urban environment like uh, New York or near New York City. So I, the schedule was greatly reduced when I when I came to Maine. But I got to tell you, uh, and Betty's heard me say this before, I loved going with her as the chaplain's husband. To Northfield. Mm. Oh, I loved it, because for once, uh-huh. I was the deal, and he was the chaplain's husband, literally, and it yeah. was just terrific. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, was the, I was the occasional organ monkey in the church. I would, you know, she would wind me up, and I would sing for the, <laughs> for the kids. I had very transitory duties. But I, honestly, Betty, when I confess to you, I don't know if you... I don't know if you got my glee in it. 
all of the times when I had disappointed Betty because I had to stay over for a rehearsal, I was in town for a recording session, the plane was late, all of these things that had kept me from being connected with Betty as a husband in our life. Now the situation was reversed because Betty would call and say, I can't make it home for dinner. I've got a student council meeting. <laughs> so I, it was, uh, it was a great leveling, you know, uh, and Betty and I think discovered uh, joyfully a kind of equity of participation in our relationship. That's great. Um, uh, Noel, when, when you, and uh, Paul and Mary, uh, Peter and Mary were at the height of uh, the civil rights movement and the Vietnam War. You, you guys were uh, sort of the voice, along with other people, of of those movements for many years and at the forefront, uh, famously at the Dr. King's 1963 uh, event in Washington and other things. In those years, when politics were in the forefront of, of your minds and uh, making a, a changing in the world was a priority, was there a spiritual dimension to all that? Were you conscious of it? Not, not for me. I was really hungry for for it, though, I, I can tell in retrospect, uh, I kept looking for the reason for being uh, involved politically, uh, because this was this was an ethic I had inherited through the music, uh, and not anything that was in. Uh, it was m- much more a uh, history uh, through the music and through the people who were in folk music uh, like Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger and Cisco Houston and Josh White. This this was an ethic that I had inherited but I didn't own yet. And that became kind of a search for me. Well, what prompts, what motivates people to give of themselves this way and to care so much about the world around them? So I was really a Johnny-come-lately, but uh, by the time 1970 rolled around, uh, I had prayed enough that I think the uh, answer when it came was easily more easily recognized by me. Right. Uh, Reverend, uh, I read that you changed the name from uh, word interfaith to multi-faith. Um, what do you see as the difference between those two? Why did you do that? Well, that's another story. Um, when I was working as chaplain at Northfield <laughs> Mount Hermon School, um, we had a large group of Muslim students there, mm-hmm. uh, but they wouldn't come to the um, interfaith, I called it then, services that I held every month. Um, and I asked them why, and their reason was that they felt that if they came um, to hear other people talk about their faith, that their own faith would become blended. So we talked about that, and we figured that um, multi-faith sort of exemplified uh each faith standing strong in its own beliefs, uh, not not blending, uh, but open and ready to listen to someone else without fear of losing the strength of your own religion. So um, that was good, but we had a lot a lot more to learn. Um, I guess that's really the core of of why it became multi faith. Mm-hmm. And. Let's turn to the One Light, Many Candles uh, programs that you do. Can you describe it and uh, what takes place uh, during the program? Uh, Well, very simply put, it's um, 
a program of readings and music that reflect the diversity and integrity of an individual faith while seeking a global spiritual community. So it's a multi-faith program in word and song, and I do readings from uh, Martin Luther King and Gandhi and Buddha and many, many others. And in between the readings, Noel does one of his wonderful songs, his own songs, and um, it lasts about an hour and a half. Um, and we've we've traveled all over with it. Uh, the response has been quite remarkable. I think even, especially now, today, people are more in need of that kind of a message of um, that we really can love each other despite our differences. And what kind of venues do you do them in? Oh, golly. Well, we've done them in, in seminaries, uh, synagogues, churches, schools, um, really, whoever asks us. Yeah, we'll have all that information posted up as well for people that would like to follow up on that. A question for both of you. Uh, you're both multi-talented uh, and have succeeded in many areas. And one area that I, I absolutely have to ask you about is your success at marriage. You've been together for over 50 years, obviously um, uh, working well together. What's your secret? And I throw that out to both of you. You go first, Noel. <clears throat> That's you know, the secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got that right in a way. <laughs> That's right. Yes. yes, deference plays a very high role in our relationship. For both of us. For both yeah. of us. We are uh, very mindful and respectful. Although I think, Betty, uh, just by the nature of my grief, my often gregarious personality and the role that I've uh, taken in the world of music uh, makes me use a lot of words to get to the same point that she gets to much more quickly. So many times I will start a situation that really could have been handled much better by Betty in fewer words and fewer moments. Uh, but we, it is the give and take and, Honestly, I think if there was one word that described why we're still together, it's surprise, because we're not at all alike. Uh, when we discover things that we mutually hold dear, it's like falling in love again. We uh, we go, oh, well, that's why we love each other. Oh, um, and so therefore that which we bring to our relationship when it's unexpected, uh, invariably, uh, while it may appear to be a challenge initially, uh, becomes another form of bonding. But I also think that laughter is a big part of it. I mean, Noel can make me laugh. He can he can get me off my dime when I'm in a snit um, by making me laugh. And that is such a gift, such a gift. So I think that's another important thing. But mostly the give and take. You just have to give up on your stuff uh, when it isn't really that important. When it is important, then then we kind of, we built a house together and we made a deal that whoever cared the most, who's, whoever's idea was so important to them that that person would get to do what they wanted to do, even if the other person didn't agree. Hmm. So that 
that worked well. I think we had two items like that, or three, or four, or five, or five. <laughs> yeah, and that could translate into uh, multi-faith gatherings. I would think <laughs> when people uh, come together. When... Between men and women are incredible. Yeah. I'm absolutely amazed that we've been together for 54 years. I mean, mm. I, I just. Uh, I look back on who I was and who Noah was when we were 20, and it's like, who were those? I think, you know, I think a certain amount of patience is called for, too, because you can have passion and a confrontation, and then the next morning you can still have passion, but probably a little less confrontation because you've had time to mull it over. And by the time the third day comes around, you go, you know, relatively speaking, it's not that important to me. And if it mm. still is to the other person, then that's the direction you need to go. Mm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, Great advice. When you do, when you do the <laughs> One Light, Many Candles programs, um, what do you find uh, people's experiences? Do, do you find people uh, transform? Do they learn from their exposure to the people of other paths? All of that. Um, we have people coming up and saying that it changed their lives. Um, some people are in tears. Uh, they talk a lot lately about how important the message is today. Um, it's uh, it's really really remarkable to to us to see the depth to which the program touches people. It's it's really amazing. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. And my. Uh, contribution because it's less specific than Betty's. I mean, Betty draws, you know, she's drawing on the words of uh, Black Elk and, and Gandhi and, and King Julian. These are specific words that are part of our history, our shared history. To introduce the concept of metaphor into the circumstance by virtue of this music means that everybody gets to reinterpret what they just heard specifically in broader terms. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what helps it right. move along. Right. Yeah, yeah, we, we kind of organized it so that um, whatever my reading at the, at the time was talking about, Noel's music kind of lifts up that thought. Um, in, a, in a really lovely way. Right. Re- and, Re- and also, um, I, do, I do like a Muslim prayer, a Jewish prayer, and a Christian prayer just to show the similarities in the religions in that particular mm-hmm. instance. Right. Um, trying to, just trying to have people understand that really we are not different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just hard, a hard message to get across. Right. When somebody comes to your uh, an event, and uh, perhaps is uh, deeply inspired, uh, and they come to you afterwards and say, you know, I got dragged here by a friend. I was never really a spiritual person. Now I'm feeling very inspired. And they ask you, how do I continue to be inspired? What can I do to maintain the spirituality and really grow spirituality from here, spiritually from here? That is a really good question because I think that one thing our program is lacking is a follow-up workshop. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I, that's, that's an excellent question. We, we really do not address that well. And when people come back after the performance, there are many, many people and very little time. So um, we don't actually get into the personal aspects of it, but I think we should, don't you know? Well, you know, it's funny, honey, uh, because I think personal recognizance plays into this. There's a line in one of the songs from the program 
called Revolution that says, but we are a raggle-taggle army, got no uniform or guns. Still, we've been called by coincidence, so maybe we're the ones to take this revolution to the street. But it's speaking about a spiritual revolution, and what it does, I would hope, as a songwriter I intended it to, give each member of the audience the instruction that they are a valuable part of this whole spiritual movement, this change. And so I think, Betty, that we, you know, hopefully give people permission to express yeah. themselves spiritually. And that that is a key that unlocks, you know, it's going to unlock the peace of the world. I think that's true, but I also think the question is, how do we follow up afterward? And and all I'm saying is that, that we don't, that we should have that's true. some kind of a workshop. Um, also, these programs are a lot of fun. Um, because Noel does some great sing-along stuff, and he gets people laughing and clapping, and it's not just a boring uh, lecture. You know, it's really, it moves nicely between word and song. And I think that people can learn both those ways. You know, they can learn through the music and they can learn through the words. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's both work together. Great. Um, I would think that people who come to it would understand the many candles piece of it. Uh, do you ever get resistance to the one flame idea? That. <laughs> one light. <laughs> the one light, rather. Yeah. Um, no, no, um, uh, we don't. I think that's because Good. we're mostly we're preaching to the choir. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. people who come are already in our camp, so to speak. Um, so no, I I um, I did get one message, uh, one email message a long time ago, um, specifically saying Jesus that quote in the Bible that says, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except mm -hmm. me. Um, and I answered it, but uh, they never wrote back. So that was the only, it's the only comment of that kind that I have ever gotten. And have you had any reaction from uh, the United Church of Christ uh, officials? Do they, are they supportive? It's a very progressive church for the most part, I know. Is. No, I, I don't have anything to do with them at all. I've never oh. heard anything negative or positive, but I would assume that they would like it. Good. Uh, well, yeah. I, w I want to uh, thank you both for taking the, the time to come on with us today. Uh, I've certainly been very inspired. And, and, and please, uh, I, I'd certainly, uh, and, I, I, and I, I'm sure I'm speaking for Phil, if we can uh, help you on your, what you're doing in any way, uh, we would be happy to. And uh, but any any final words and um, and Phil, uh, any final questions uh, for you? Uh, anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, yeah, play some more music. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. You know, I think your questions have been excellent, and I think you've covered a lot of ground in a very short period of time. So we thank you for letting us right. be with yeah. you. And I, I want to say have, I want to say one, one last thing. I want to say one last thing, and Phil, go to, go to you. Uh, <clears throat> I have one question for Noel. Oh, go ahead. No, okay. No, yeah, go. Um, over the years, I would <clears throat> bet when people find out you're the Paul from Peter, Paul, and Mary, people of a certain age will uh, get very emotional because you were a big part of their youth, uh, and, and they probably sing to you. <laughs> what which song is most often sung to you in a restaurant or an airport terminal 
I think you already probably know the answer to that. It's not the song that moved them, but is the song that they remember the most is Buff the Magic Dragon. Yeah. They they all had an emotional experience uh, during the 60s or during those you know, great mm-hmm. political travails. Or maybe it was right at the end of the Vietnam War with uh, Jet Plane. But, yeah, it's, but the song that they feel that they've got their fingers on, that they share with their kids, Betty and I both roll our eyes out. Oh, yeah. Right, right. The other thing is that that we try very hard not to bring the Peter, Paul, and Mary thing into Mm -hmm. candles because that's not the point. Right. And uh, frequently when I write up the contract, I tell whoever has come to please not use that. I mean, that that's not what people are. I mean, it might get people in the door, but it's uh, it's not what it's about. Yeah. Right. Uh, one one last. Because... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. One, one last comment I, I'd like to make to our listeners, and that is, please go to onelightmanycandles.org. Uh, there's a lot of great text to read there, but most importantly, there's a, a photo of, of Noel and uh, Elizabeth, Reverend Elizabeth, and they're holding each other, and there's a, a smile and a sense of uh, incredible spirituality coming from that picture that I think everybody would enjoy that really speaks volumes to the work that they're doing. So uh, please, uh, so that's onelightmanycandles.org and uh, just a great, great picture of a couple uh, uh, radiating spirituality, in my opinion. So uh, uh, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on today. That's very kind. Thank you, Phil. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Okay.